Hello and welcome to Cocoa Pods. My name is Dr. Bola Sogadi. I'm a women's healthcare specialist. Cocoa Pods is a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. And we talk about all the things relating to women's health and how we can reduce some of the risks associated with the increased maternal mortality that is women dying from pregnancy and around pregnancy in Georgia and really all over the world. Today, we're fortunate to have with us Dr. Moji Arule-Fela. Dr. Moji Arule-Fela is a consultant psychiatrist. She holds a full registration that is akin to board certification with the General Medical Council in the United Kingdom and is on the specialist register with endorsement in substance misuse. She has practiced psychiatry for 25 years. She holds a substantive consultant post in the National Health Service Foundation Trust in Manchester in the United Kingdom. She is a clinical placement supervisor for University of Manchester medical students and a honorary lecturer of the University of Sheffield. Dr. Arule Fela is a British Nigerian who qualified in University College Ibadan, Nigeria in 1990 and completed her postgraduate training in the United Kingdom. She is an experienced wellness coach and contributes to community awareness programs in mental health and wellness promotion in her community in Manchester, giving talks in regional and national church audiences. She enjoys singing, swimming, and lately developed a lockdown-induced interest in cooking. Dr. Arulefela, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Dr. Bola Sugadi. Thanks for having me on the Cocoa Pod. Thank you. And so before we go forward, I just want to talk about this, your lockdown-induced interest in cooking. Can you just explain this a little bit to us? Oh, wow. Indeed, it's a lockdown-induced because I am someone who didn't enjoy cooking. And, you know, looking back now, I just wonder what I fed my family through their growing years, even though they've grown now in height and weight reasonably, so I must have done something right. But having said that, I think I overdid it to a point that I was 13 stone at some point and my BMI was, you know, largely exceeded the normal range of 18 to 25. I'm I'm talking like maybe it was around 35. Wow. So to be honest with you, I haven't gone through medical school. I didn't feel as if I knew much about nutrition and cooking and all that. So, you know, take away food, anything that you can reach with your hands, you can put in your mouth. That was it to them. But talking seriously with the lockdown, I mean, the system was closed and we were spending so much time at home. And a year, no, two years prior to that, I joined Sleeping World locally. So I started getting some ideas about what to eat that is right. Mm. Gladly, I have lost so much that I'm healthy now. I'm now just under, well, above 11 stone and my BMI is much healthier. So I'm glad. So with the lockdown... There's nowhere to go and eat out with the family. Sometimes I'm, I'm even coming home from work and I pick a few things, Chinese takeaway, pizzas and stuff like that. So I have been on YouTube instead, learning various dishes to the point that I now realize that cooking is purely experimental, you know, because you watch various YouTube channels and you see that people cook the same thing differently. And I thought, all oh, right, wow. So that means that I could put my signature on 
this food as well. So now I can boast of comfortably being able to cook Nigerian jollof, a goosey soup, ogbono with okra and so on. Wow, this is interesting. Now you talked about your weight in stones. And in the United States, we talk about the weight in pounds. And I know in Nigeria, we talk about the weight in kilograms. Would you know what your weight is now in pounds? No, I wouldn't know in pounds because I was taught in matrix because I studied in Nigeria. So I used the matrix system. So wow. I know kilograms. Yes. In fact, I'm more versed in kilograms, but I'm having yes. to convert it to my British counterparts. Right, Even right. though they are meant to be speaking matrix now. But mm-hmm. I think my generation amongst them, they still yes. talk in stones. In stones. So, I mean, now I'm around 78 kilograms. Wow. Wow. You look great. You look great, Dr. Rulifela. So, Dr. Moji, you live in Manchester, England, and this is about four hours by road from Edinburgh, Scotland, the home of one of the most common tools worldwide, actually number one in the United States. It's one of the tools used to screen for depression in postpartum women up to eight weeks after delivery and also in pregnancy. It's called the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale, EPDS. Can you explain to us the history of this screening tool and how, to your best of your understanding, it's been used to identify women who may have postpartum depression? I think I can briefly tell you one or two things that I found out in my research of the tool as well, because I didn't look into the history at all. You know, it's just Edinburgh Depression Scale, which we used randomly. So I just thought, now that you've given me the question, I was going to dig into it. So I have found that it was indeed developed in Edinburgh in 1987 by the team Cox et al. in the Scottish Health um, Service. And this tool was piloted in both Edinburgh and Livingston. And so it's been commissioned in Edinburgh and now is so widely used worldwide. It's a 10-item screening tool. I need to explain that it's just a screening tool and it's used to find out whether a patient would be susceptible to developing postnatal depression. So it is not diagnostic. So you mean that we don't use it to make a diagnosis, we use it to screen the patients to see if they're at risk? Exactly, yes. Because, you know, the screening tool can indicate whether a woman has symptoms that are common to women who suffer depression, you know, like low mood, anxiety during pregnancy. And it can also be used in the year following childbirth. So it can be used between pregnancy and up to a year after childbirth. And women are requested to answer questions in terms of the past seven days of when the tool is applied. Women who are identified to have high score on the tool, anything over 13 on the tool, means that this lady needs follow-up, closer monitoring, and follow-up, sort of investing resources in them to keep an eye out, just to support them, extra support, because it does indicate that they are likely to develop into full-blown postpartum depression. And all women, you know, they should complete the EPDS in both antenatal and postnatal period, ideally between six to 12 weeks after birth. So you you said it has 10 points. So it looks like each point has more than one scoring system. 
Yes. So it's, I mean, it's a standard screening tool that the professional will take them through answering the questions. Then based on the questions that they give, then we'll be able to totally to what the score is. And before we move on, I just want to say that I feel so fortunate to be talking to you. You live in Manchester. This tool was developed in Edinburgh and it's used, it's the number one tool used in the United States for screening for postnatal postpartum depression. So we feel very fortunate that you live around where this tool was developed. So thank you for the insights that you've given us. So how can depression in the period after pregnancy and delivery be dangerous to a woman? What is the spectrum of this diagnosis? What is, for instance, the baby blues? How long does it last for? What is depression in the postpartum period? What should family members, caregivers be looking for in a woman who has just had a baby? Postpartum depression is quite common. 50 to 75% of new mothers, they experience what we call baby blues after delivery. And that is a high percentage, 50 to 75%. And baby blues is just a woman after birth, you know, the body changes, the hormone level changes, the uterus is trying to get back to its normal shape or pre-pregnancy shape rather. So all these going on after delivery is quite important. Baby blue generally occurs from day three to day seven after childbirth. When a woman might just feel a bit off the weather, low in mood. Because remember, pregnancy and childbirth is supposed to be an exhilarating experience. We've had a new baby come into the world. But because of hormonal changes just after delivery and the body trying to retarget itself, women can experience baby blues. But this shouldn't extend, as I said, more than at least seven days. But up to 15% of women who experience baby blues go on to develop severe depression and long-lasting depressive symptoms. And this is what is called postpartum depression. Wow. So after delivery, after that one-week period, usually you notice following between one and four weeks after the delivery of the baby, that is when they can develop postpartum depression. Thank you so much for that. What kind of resources would be available to support or available to help women in your area and possibly could be extrapolated for use worldwide to cope with depression after giving birth and that would help with some of these mood changes? There can be resources put in before birth. Ideally, worldwide women register antenatally so the midwives are always available to support them in the antenatal period that can lead on to pregnancy. But having said that, I must say that as a mental health practitioner, generally within a community team setting, look after women who already have pre-existing mental illnesses, be it depressive disorder or bipolar disorder. Some of them do have psychotic conditions, some have substance misuse, and some do have personality disorders. So we do see this group of patients regularly, which whom we follow out in the outpatient clinics. But once we know that they're pregnant, then we step them up to the perinatal psychiatric service. So it's more like a tertiary specialist service here in the UK. I don't know the equivalent of what there is over there with yourselves, but we literally just increase resources for them. So we allocate them 
professional within the community mental health service who, who would be their care coordinator and work jointly with the midwife to support the pregnant lady in pregnancy, monitoring the physical health needs, monitoring the growth and maturation of a pregnancy, as well as monitoring the mental health. So this is somebody that might have like a pre-existing mental condition, but for a woman that doesn't, she had a baby and then she just feels mood changes, being overwhelmed. Over here, we also plug them to providers like midwives and their OBGYNs. We get a you know mental health consultant, a psychologist, a psychiatrist. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yes, but remember, at this level, we're talking of people who have pre-existing mental illness and disorders that's already diagnosed. But I get the impression you're asking me for probably what people that we regard as the primary care population here. And this is just, you know, Mrs. T, who's just had a baby. She had baby blues, you know, three to seven days, feeling overwhelmed, tired, lethargic, probably not sleeping as much, not resting as much, has breastfeeding issues with the baby. And maybe that had lingered on past the seven days and she was beginning to now show signs of depressive disorder. In that instance, they'll first go to their midwives who follow them up after they've had their baby, they're discharged, they don't have full postnatal depression yet, but the midwife is there supporting them. They have the general practitioners as well. They have district nurses in this country after 12 weeks or so, if I'm right, 12 weeks, the district nurses also service kicks in to go home and support these women. Wow. So those are in the public domain, the sort of care that is available for them. And these are the times one would expect them to then use the Edinburgh's postnatal depression skill again, the screening tool, just to continue the monitoring and if this shows that the symptoms are severe enough to meet the diagnosis of depression, then the treatment would have to change. Having said that, support resources in the community, hands-on. There should be provisions of food, household chores, support. We will advise that. The key into neighborliness, family, you know, to come and support them. And in lots of cultures around the world, we know that the grandmothers would come in to support the new mother for up to three months at a time so that they're there supporting them with household chores, doing the cooking for them and allowing them to sleep, to rest well, to be able to focus on their own health and just take the extra responsibility off them at that time. Wow, this is great. I mean, you talked about even community nurses performing home visits, family members, a sense of family, the whole community, this is important because at times most of the problems happen after the baby is born. And in a culture in which there's no support like such, then things can be missed. Diagnosis can be missed and this can lead to maternal morbidity and mortality. Sagade, can I tell you something interesting, another interesting view that you may be interested in? Yes. Postnatal depression is very common in women. But then it's also known to affect 1% to 26% of fathers. Oh, wow. Because remember, for fathers, especially new fathers, it is a completely new experience for them as well. Some of them do have anxieties about the birth, anxieties Mm. about whether they will be able to play the role of a father, what should they be doing? And some of them feel inadequate. And 
as you know, a lot of mental health conditions that affect women. Women would speak out, they would share what's on their mind. But what we know is that men find it more difficult to talk about their emotions, to talk about whatever they're experiencing. So it's also a time when the fathers also need support. So it's not just about focusing support on the mothers, but also about the fathers, because this is one to 26% of new fathers. That's one in four. So it's also an area that we need to pay attention to. And they also, they need similar support at primary care level in community. The midwife is there. She might pick up that there may be some mood issues with her dad. And they will then ask them to speak to their general practitioner. Because general practitioner is a gatekeeper in the health service system here in the UK. And from there, they can also get appropriate help, be it, you know, psychological. And if it's bad enough, then maybe they would need some medication. This is such an important topic you, you brought up. Now, in the treatment of depression after giving birth, medications called antidepressants and talk therapy are often used in combination. And you are a wellness coach. Can you explain how we can use a combination of both medication and talk therapy to manage depression in the post-delivery period? Usually, the combination treatment does work for postnatal depression. Let me try to pull back a bit and start from the fact that with postnatal depression, one of the things we know that there are certain chemicals in the brain that are low in level. So by giving them antidepressants, we're trying to bump up these well-being, feel well, feel good chemicals. That's the idea about the antidepressants that we give. But we also know that antidepressants would only help up to a point because it's a biological approach to treatment. However, there are psychosocial aspects to managing postnatal depression also, which is where the psychological aspect comes in, which is talk therapy. And talk therapy can be available through self-help online resources. It doesn't really have to be going to a therapist. You can start by self-help means if it's not that severe, as well as if need be, then we can step it up to psycho- psychological services. Similarly, we also have the social aspect of managing postnatal depression. Because remember, a significant component of postnatal depression can be social for all you know. Well, that would come up when you assess a patient. For example, do they have housing needs where they are? Is it an area where they can't get to sleep well? Is it noisy area where they live? Do they have money worries? Because this may be their second, third or fourth child. There may be that worry, that ground worries about being able to afford looking after more children. Or even if it's a new mother, there may be anxieties about just being a mother. You know, what is it? Or anxieties around breastfeeding. So we do need to address these postnatal depression period or symptoms in a biopsychosocial model of management. I want to open up a bit about the commonest type of the psychological therapy that may be employed, which is the cognitive behavioral therapy. In fact, here in the UK, anyone can self-refer to a psychological service. It's called Improving Access to Psychological Therapy. You can just go online, complete the form and send it off. And within six weeks, someone will contact you to discuss with you, talk to you and start the therapy for you. And outcomes so far measured 
by people who do get therapy from IAPS has been quite good. Some have been well enough to go back to work. So cognitive behavioral therapy is based on the triad of what you think, how you feel, and how you behave. Because you can imagine a new mother who's just had a baby and she just feels that, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not a good mother. And that's a thought. Now, that thought will generate a feeling in the individual. Like, gosh, I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough mother. She might feel guilty. She might feel angry about herself. She might feel down. She might feel low self-esteem. And guess what that does to her behavior? She will behave in a way of someone who is slowed down, who's lethargic, who has nothing to offer. And might lead to things like mothers not getting out of bed to feed their child or even to dress themselves well. So when you go for CBT, you can then, what they do is they support the patient to keep diaries of their thoughts, their feelings and their behavior. And they try to reformulate that for them. Also learn skills to challenge some thoughts that they have. Like you're not a good enough mother. Where's that from? What's the evidence? Because, you know, if you take a rational approach, you want the evidence, but there's no evidence. That's just the thought that's popped up. And if that's the person's thinking pattern or their pre-existing core belief system, then that does feed into that triad. But it's very effective, cognitive behavioral therapy. Other therapies are available that can be offered to mothers with postnatal depression. Wow, thank now, you. Now, can I just answer the second part? Because yes. you said something about me being a wellness coach. Yes. The answer I've given you earlier is from the, the position of being a psychiatrist. But in wellness, anyone can be a wellness coach. And this is about doing the simple things, the resting well, sleeping well, making time to sleep, eating well, get some support if you need it, take a break or schedule a sleep. When your baby is sleeping, that's the time you need to sleep as well. Because, you know, some babies just have their sleep pattern reversed. So they're awake in the nighttime and then they sleep in the daytime. And that the mother should try to mirror that so that it can be available for the best feeding periods. Also, they need to reevaluate breastfeeding. Is it for them? Because for some women, they cannot cope with breastfeeding in spite of all the, what we know to be the healthier option, natural means. But some women struggle with it. Some may not be producing enough breast milk. And some might feel guilty about that. So it's about readdressing and reevaluating whether breastfeeding is ideal or optimum or whether they need to introduce formula milk. Also, a new mother needs to stay connected with families, with friends, with support system. Because isolation really is associated strongly with depression. And if all these don't work, then see a doctor.